Now activating the Beast Node, hosted by Travis Lochner. Are, Are you ready? ready? If you listen and take action, the following few moments may change your life. The world needs you now more than ever. Yeah. What do you want to be remembered for? What is your true purpose on this earth? You were meant for greatness. Does this hit an emotional chord? Yeah. I can help you change your future. Have a greater purpose in life. Your soul is screaming for you to answer your true calling. Initiate upload to listener in three, two, one. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, we have got another beast in the building. He is a world-leading expert on business and leadership psychology. Also a professor at UCLA and UC Berkeley, the author of Learn, Laugh, Lead. He's a brilliant father and actually married to his high school sweetheart. This guy is a legend and a brilliant man. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Brian Harmon, welcome hey to the show. <laughs> How are you, my oh, man? Dude, happy holidays. I'm so happy to be here. You know that I love everything you do, everything you touch. You're like the King Midas in my eyes. So thanks for having me, man. <laughs> oh, it's the pleasure's all mine, man. Appreciate the kind words, but you're in this seat because you're a beast, bro. Like something you are doing over there. Uh, I just need to understand what the situation is. Uh, as we've approached this year of 2020, which typically has set people back uh, in, in many contexts, you are somehow thriving uh, on so many social media platforms. Uh, I see you in so many different contexts of, of coaching and helping people right now. And it seems so counterintuitive that you were able to pull this off in the middle of a pandemic. So I'm very excited to pack, unpack what is going on over there. And it seems like the easiest place to start is where did this all come from? Your your story, obviously, uh, we all have our story that starts somewhere. So I'd love to take a little time time portal trip back to where this all started. What do you consider the first moment that set you on this path of where you are today of mm. success and really high performance, like elite, elite high performance. It's got to start somewhere. And I'm curious from your world and your perspective, where do you think this all started? Okay. <laughs> I grew up with three brothers and the four of us were born within four years. So very close, very competitive. I knew from a young age, I was going to be a business person. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't ever hear that word entrepreneur or whatever, but that was from a young age is like success, ambition, competitiveness was in my DNA. Thank you to Jonathan, Mark and Sean, my three brothers for, for uh, tackling the shit out of me on the gladiator for, floor, also known as our living room. Uh, what happened over the course of my sort of young teenage years is I met this amazing person, which is my wife, Christina. I wanted to get married with her 
and I didn't feel like I was in a really mature, strong place after high school. I was actually, my, my mom lied about my birthday so that I could start school earlier. So I was born on December 2, according to the school district. <laughs> But my real birthday is December 28th because that December 2 was the cutoff to join the school. So I was always a little bit younger and immature for my, my grade. So anyways, fast forward that after high school, and this is magnified a bit. I'm not ready for college. I'm not really in a place where I understand what it means to become a man. And I also I grew up without a father, no discipline. My brothers and I were sort of troublemakers in some way. Nothing crazy like violent or anything like that, but we were just mischievous. When I got into that zone, though, that I wanted to ask my wife to marry me, I knew I needed to do something. I needed to go into some career where I could provide her a life. Uh, I knew that was important to her parents, that, uh, that the person that she was with was educated. I knew how important education was for them. They both had master's degrees down in Peru, and they came to the U.S. during the 80s when Peru was essentially on fire. Not technically fire, but uh, corrupt the deflation, yeah. bad economics, bad terrorism, bad politics. They came here for a good life. And I wanted to make sure that they didn't come all the way here just to let her daughter marry some freaking idiot. And that's, <laughs> that's what drove me into feeling like a little bit of a wow. sense of responsibility. I need to go back to school. So I did that. I went to the community college that I had been driving by for a couple of years. I finally just walked in. I enrolled in some dumbass classes like geology and geography just to get that associate's degree out of the way. I didn't know how else to, to build a foundation. So I did that. And finally, it was time to ask her to marry me. We got married a year later in the Caribbean in St. Lucia. And I came back and was diagnosed with an ultra rare bone disease in my spine. And that was what led me into four surgeries, 14 screws, four rods, it was, a, it was a really tough time, mentally, more than the physical part. Uh, and during that time, though, right when I hit that first surgery, I got to take some time off from a job that I really didn't like. And when I say really didn't like, I'm talking like full disgust, rage, loathed the people I worked mm. for. Some of the people I worked with were cool, but I did not trust this business. <laughs> and when I left that company, they tried to take over my personal cell phone even because I had made a couple of work calls over the previous months from my personal number. Like, that's how oh bad God. this place was. It's just on, on every level. That's, that's not even the worst example I could give you. Yeah. So I'm sitting in the hospital. I'm contemplating now. Hey, I got a family I need to, to start with my wife. We're, gonna, we're now married. My body's in, in complete broke mode. Like, my, my neck, my spine. I'm, I'm, I'm going into some, some big surgeries physical therapy. They took my license away because I couldn't turn my neck. All of this stuff, though, was like peanuts compared to the fact that I knew I didn't want to return to that job. So I didn't. I actually left that job while I was in that surgery, uh, you know, recovery at the hospital. I, I decided wow. I'm not going back yeah. there. So I left that job and it became clear to me that building a workplace that had trust a place where you could go in and have that personal family vibe, a place where you could actually thrive and be creative and participate and engage in a healthy way. I wanted to be a part of that. So then I, I decided in the hospital room with, with uh, you know, pumped full of morphine. 
I'm going to be part of the solution. I'm not going to stay and, and work with a company like that for another second. So then I, I created a path for myself forwards that ultimately took me through grad school and studying abroad and my PhD to get me into that zone where now I can help people do the thing that I hated. And I felt like I was in a position to help because of that, for that eight year path that I took to learn what I needed to learn to now teach people what they need. I also wanted to tell you that I don't believe that people set out to be bad leaders. It's not like the people who I was working for at that company were malintentioned. They just didn't know better. Yeah. Yeah. So I like to work with leaders who care, leaders who want to change the world for the best. And I help them and I give them the tools on how to do that. Mm. No, this, that was brilliant to see you uh, roll through those, those transitions and, Typically, that would that would that would be the next few questions I was I was gonna ask is what were those primary pivot points? And it looks like meeting your wife at a very young age was one mm-hmm. of the biggest pivot points that sent you on this more meaningful trajectory. And then the ability to recognize that culture you didn't want to be in looks like that was that second pivot point of like sitting in the hospital wondering. What the hell uh, are, are we doing mm-hmm. here? Uh, <laughs> that's kind of the situation I'm seeing unfold. Um, and it's brilliant that you were able to recalibrate and get that on track because I think everything I've seen since then has just been an, an overload of, of leadership and love and passion uh, in a way that I haven't really seen, um, which is really unique to your voice and your message. Um, a lot of times there's business leaders and psychology experts and trainers and stuff that all have this kind of uh, ac- very academic science vibe. And everything I see from you starts with love or passion or human connection of some sort. Uh, and I'd be curious where how much of this is intentional how much of this is marketing how much of this is just naturally you um because this is something i just see is is very unique to your caliber um you don't see many people Mm -hmm. leading with love uh so i'm curious where where did this originate what's the the theory or the (laughs) the the system behind all Mm -hmm. this love up over there it's a good question travis it's actually the best question that that you could have asked me uh if I'm thinking about trust and what I want to bring to the world, and, and even to back up, the reason I became a coach is it gives me the ability to influence the trust for entire companies because I'm working with CEOs and founders and executives. So I want to expand this influence, expand this idea that I can bring more trust into leadership, and I have to do that at a level where my, my work can get magnified through the people that I'm coaching. When I'm coaching... There's, there's a couple things that, that are at the, the core of this sort of system or methodology, methodology that I teach. Everything that we do, every interaction, every behavior that we take can be trust building, trust neutral, or t- trust degrading. I want to help them take every interaction into a trust building behavior. At the best, trust neutral. I mean, sorry, at the worst, trust neutral. Mm. At least trust neutral. At, at least, Sadly, yeah. though, most leaders yeah. are in the trust degrading. So we trust strangers more than we trust our own boss. That's, that's what's the reality. Harvard Business did a, a massive study on it. Wow. It, 
it's really sad. What that tells me is that bosses actually unintentionally create feelings of betrayal and low trust in the workplace. I trust people on the street more than I trust my boss. Fact. When I'm thinking about how I come out, how I influence, one thing that became really clear to me was status differential. When you're building trust, no one wants you to be authoritative. They want you to be the authority in your field as a thought leader, someone who can really help them. That's different than authoritative personality. Why do I wear a hat in class when I'm at UC Berkeley? Mm -hmm. Why don't I wear a suit when I'm teaching students that are even sometimes a lot older than me? Because I don't want status differential. I don't want there to be power distance. That's trust step one. I do not care for my title. I do not ask my students to call me doctor and professor. I, I say, I ask them, call me dude or call me Brian. I will not answer to professor and I will not answer to doctor. Those are the types of things that are trust building behaviors, but it's very under the surface. Why do I wear a black t-shirt instead of a shirt and tie when I'm, when I'm talking to CEOs and senior vice presidents? Same exact reason. Let the conversation that we have be the power and the depth and the nature of what we want to do, not anything else. So it comes down to a shake of a hand, the way that we open our body language and our heart and face people, the way we look people in the eye. These are the trust building behaviors at their very core, stuff that we don't get to learn in school. And it starts with uh, really, you don't know when someone's going to take that first impression of you when you have a digital presence. So I want all of my stuff to look like that. I want to be the the fun, silly, energetic, vibrant, and also credible executive coach. Not the suit and tie guy. I do not believe in executive presence. Wow. Most of that stuff that they're teaching is actually just really good leadership fundamentals. I do not care to call it presence, and I would never encourage any of my clients to work on their quote-unquote presence because it's a fat waste of time. Focus more on how do I add value into the people that work for me's lives? How can I make them go home on Fridays with a smile? People will talk about who they work for when they go home. Do you want that to be a positive conversation or a negative conversation? And leaders have a responsibility mm. to make sure that's a positive conversation. Brilliant, man. I could see it from the outside, uh, but it seems to make so much more sense from the horse's now hearing mouth. it directly from you. <laughs> and it's one of those things that feel like, a, it feels like a paradox. Yeah. It feels like a paradox because you are in this world of like corporate training. Like if you were to step into a, a Fortune 500 company, you would expect everything in your head psychologically as far as like stereotypes that that would be a, a suit and tie type of dude walking in the room prim and proper but what you've done is really break down this stereotype where all of the knowledge and the value that you can still bring is still there but what you've done is break broken this barrier, this kind of invisible psychological barrier that seems to be between people. Um, and I'm very, I feel like maybe yeah, a little late to the party in discovering this of like just this year, I'm finally converting from the LinkedIn like suit and tie picture to like a, a casual V-neck. Like that's what I wear every day anyways. So might as well throw it in there. Um, and that authenticity has, I have seen the positive ROI on that and it just makes it so much easier to connect with people. So I'm 
really interested to explore because you do come from this world of of academics and continued learning. Uh, seems you're you're always leveling up not only yourself and the people around you. I would love to hear your theory or your perspective in general on learning, just in general. Where do we learn? Where where do you learn? How should we learn? Is college a scam? Should we be learning stuff on our own? Like w- this is a, a critical conversation. I think a lot of people wanting to level up their life. Uh, a lot of the time it starts with education, but a lot of people I've seen try to plug themselves into the wrong type of learning environment uh, for them. So I'd be curious from your end, how do you learn? Where do you learn? What do you suggest uh, people do to find their learning styles? Um, it just is a, a super interesting, virtually bottomless conversation, but would love to hear from your world what exactly is, uh, what should we be focusing on or not focusing on? Mm. I think, I think the education system has a bad rap because there's this privatization that has created insurmountable student debt for a lot of people. And it's so strong and so pervasive and it destroys families' abilities to buy homes and to, ex- to have children. One of the reasons that my wife and I waited until we did to have a child was for the reason of student debt. So I get that. But mm. if you tell me to go back to Brian pre-formal education, I would, I would never do that. If I could erase all my student debt to go back to Brian before, here's the reason for that is because I dedicated myself to my craft, to my field. There are great books. Could I have gotten the same education just from books? Sure, but would I have? By enrolling in school, I force myself into a calendar, into a schedule, into a that area of, and cycle of behavioral and cognitive reward. Like, okay, I finish the term, I get to celebrate, have champagne <laughs> with my wife. Now I go to the next term. Then I do the work, then I learn more, then I go to the next term. And would I ever consent to the ignorance that I had prior to my education? Mm-hmm. Not a chance. Yes, do I regret taking on the $326,000 in student loans? Did it slow down my, my family, my home, my finances, my responsibility, my legacy for my son, whatever? Sure. But I would never go back, not for a second. When people shit on education, it has a lot to do with the bad picture of capitalist privatization of our education in society. And, and there is a lot of truth to that. But there are public institutions where you can get educated and and continue learning if you're if you're going to be the person though like i hear a lot of like the education system is broken if that's going to be the mo if that's going to be the the thing and you could still get successful and never have a degree we've seen that it's reality it's it's certainly not impossible and for some that actually would would kill their success because they would have actually squandered those good those years of Mm fire and passion into the wrong place. For me, I didn't have another place to go. I didn't know where else to get it from. So that was my path. But I read hundreds of business books, psychology books over the course of that 12 year period of my education. Would I have still done that if I wasn't in school? 
I can tell you with certainty that I would never have had the discipline or responsibility without having that that um, structure from academics. So if you can do that discipline and drive without it, that's great. I don't know if people can do that as effectively without having someone. Um, I'll give you a good mm -hmm. example. A couple of people that I coach at no cost, it's like pro bono work. They never do as well as my clients who pay me. They show up late. They don't do the homework. Mm. They don't get the results. The people who pay, they're like, well, shit, that was a big paycheck. That was a, that, that cost me 10 grand. I'm going to get every ounce of, of brine that I can get out of this because this was an yeah. investment. Same thing goes with school. I paid for it, so I got out every freaking piece of text and reading and knowledge from my professors that I could possibly squeeze out, and I'm thankful for it. Boom. So learning, learning is like, the way I break this down, to answer your original question, I got off track there. <laughs> to answer your original question, I, I think of lear uh, education in several forms. One is the acquisition of knowledge, reading, learning. Then you've got the creation of knowledge, so conducting studies or even what you do is the creation of knowledge. You interview people, you ask questions, and then the next thing is the dissemination of knowledge. You send that out to people to help them learn from people who you've learned from and I've learned from you and everything like this. That's dissemination of knowledge. My favorite thing about academics, the reason I went to school to begin with is, has a lot to do with the fact that I wanted to be someone that could debate knowledge. I talk to the people who uh, believe in the opposite things of me. And we can have an intelligent argument, a disciplined argument about it. That's important. And then the other part is I do have a sense of responsibility. Now, because I had a PhD and not everyone can go out and do that, I have a responsibility to help people learn the things that I learned. And I've been given the, the fortunate position to be able to make videos for LinkedIn, make, make uh, videos for other social media platforms. So with education comes a big responsibility to say, who can I help? Who can I serve with this knowledge? It has nothing to do with me. I, I, I got educated to help other people, not to help myself. Mm, no, and that's a brilliant recognition. I think that you're that self-serve piece. That's a big piece that a lot of people miss that I thought of when I saw the opposite approach uh, in my college experience of people paying to go to school and then would skip the classes <laughs> and then have have this kind of like psychology of like, oh, yeah, no, I'm skipping class today. Screw that. I'm like, you know, you're paying for that. Like, they don't care that you're skipping class. Like, yeah, uh, it's just very weird to, to see. Yeah, Travis, the reason for that is because they were doing it for a self-serving purpose to begin with. If you, if you see a narcissistic doctor who became a doctor for the title of the money. Mm they're not as good at their craft as the ones who became a doctor to take the Hippocratic Oath to really be a, a member of community that is serving the rest of society. They're treating their patients who are their neighbors. When it becomes not about you, that's when you succeed. But when you, this, this wasn't something that I learned when I was, when I was first in college, did I ditch class sometimes, whatever. Yeah, because I hadn't really found that clarity and purpose. Hmm. Um, yeah, no, that, so I think that's a natural progression. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that those people who ditch class, it's because they're still figuring it out. 
It's it's so interesting to see. Uh, I, I recently had Jordan Paris on the show, and he was he was on the other end of the spectrum. He was like, "Oh, she's a scam!" Like, what? So it's brilliant to he- hear yeah, for listeners that. that anything in this world, uh, whether it's sports, music, school, anything, you ultimately have the control at the end of the day of what you get out of that experience, whether you were good or bad or failed or passed. Uh, theoretically, there's so much that relies on us subjectively to extract from that experience. So I'd love to zero in now in this theme of learning and education. Uh, you've seemed to absorb everything from everywhere <laughs> along the way. So in the spirit of disseminating knowledge again, what do you consider the most valuable skill you've learned along the way? either in professional context, personal context, just this whole mm-hmm. l- adventure of life in general, what do you consider the most valuable skill you've learned? It, it's so easy and it's so simple. And this is why people like Jordan Paris don't need a formal education. Yeah. <laughs> because this dude is incredible at setting and reaching goals. What it comes down to is like actually writing down goals. Um, mm. He is an exception to the rule. He he is going to be more wildly successful than I think he even knows because he he is. Did you know he's in his early twenties? Yep. No, it's uh, dude. This guy's <laughs> he, gnarly. He was my my podcast mentor for this, and it was very bizarre relationship to have this kid significantly younger than you showing you the ropes. Yeah. But and he's, uh, he's wise beyond, beyond his years for sure. He he. So I had him on a couple of videos with me, uh, and I was blown away by him. Um, he is he is a rare gem to be able to accomplish what he has accomplished at his age, and I wish that he continues to get his message out there because uh, it, it does really show people that there is another path. But dude, if, if you know anyone who has more learning goals than anyone else, it's definitely Jordan Paris. This guy is like a constantly <laughs> just like pushing the bounds of who can I learn more and better from. You've seen who he interviews. It's wild. So a lot of, lot of credit yeah. to him. I'm inspired by him. Um, no, that's brilliant. So write down your goals, ladies and gentlemen. That's uh, <laughs> something that we often neglect, like thinking we're making progress and moving forward all the time. Uh, having something to physically mark that start, finish, and that journey, I think, is is a massive bonus. So appreciate you sharing that as well. Uh, yeah, if I could similar... tell you a little bit about that. So. Yeah, please. The do. whole lead, lead no, with love thing. The reason I say that is because love is my number one core value. And I actually set goals around self love, love for my wife, love for my son, my other family members, my colleagues, my friends, and the community around me. So I actually build my goals based off my core values. And what mm. that hap- what, what happens from there is it makes me feel less busy and less misaligned. It gives me purpose and clarity to use my core values as the building block for my goals. So you you need to like take that step back to first say, what do I value? What's important to me? And what are the goals I'm going to set that are based off those core values? Once you start changing how you set and reach, reach goals with that foundation, 
you're a lot more likely to hit your goals. And when stuff goes wrong, mm. when you have those days where it's like, dude, every, nothing's working in my favor, those days actually give you more meaning because they drive your purpose forwards. They're learning events, they're opportunities. You become better, more valuable because you just solved that problem that you were having. Wow. This is so. This might be a perfect segue then uh, into the the second half of the show, where the goal is really to unpack some systems or theory or advice from from your world and upload that to our listener here. And something you just mentioned seems like a very critical keystone to figure out: creating goals based around your core values. This seems like an invaluable system, strategy, or process. Would you mind kind of giving us the uh, maybe the secret sauce here of, of what would that process look like? What type of steps can we take to get a goal that we know aligns with ourselves personally and professionally, but also with kind of this, this higher level serving this higher level purpose that you're mentioning uh what does that process look like where does it start and how do you know when you found something that's a winner the way the process works the way that i walk my clients through this is we start by looking at some lists start honing in on some of the things that we know are important to us so for me it's love education responsibility and culture underneath each of those core values i've got a list of sub values now well wait what does love mean to me when do I feel the most loved? When is love a reward? When is love painful? When is love fueling me? When is it not fueling me? Who do I like to give my love to? Who gives love to me? Start kind of just getting into the weeds of what this is for me. Why does it matter? Those create some sub goals, or sorry, sub values. Those create some sub values, and then you create a short, mid, and long term goal for each sub value. What that looks like in, in actuality. So for self-love, a short-term goal can't be like meditate more. That ain't a goal. <laughs> That's like a, a wish list idea concept that will never happen. But if you started with something real and tangible, I want to meditate for five minutes twice a week. That could mm -hmm. be your short-term goal. That's how I'm going to practice self-love moving forwards. Then that just goes into your calendar. Boom. For... My partner love, my wife, Christina, what's a short-term goal? Maybe it's one book that we read together every quarter. I don't want to get too ambitious and be like, we're going to read a book every week. And it's going to be amazing. And yeah. it's like, I, no, that doesn't happen. It's like, don't set yourself up for failure by, by going too crazy with this stuff. Set the goals that you're going to hit. And when, when you hit a goal, you have to reward yourself so that you can get in this cycle of setting and reaching goals constantly. And then they can get bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's like an avalanche of, dude, I'm a goal setter and I crush these goals. So let's say that's for love. If I go into education, we talked about the acquisition of knowledge. So reading books. For me personally, I use this Blinkist app. I do anywhere from two to five Blinks per day. And then on Friday, I choose a full audio book from the ones I'd heard the Blinks of the week prior and I choose that audiobook for the next week. So I listen to that one audiobook per week. That's a short-term goal for the acquisition of knowledge, mm. which is a sub-value of education as my core value. So you just continue down that for each of your 
your different core values. For example, in culture, I'm talking about music, food, travel. So in travel, how do I set a short-term goal for travel? Barring coronavirus, but usually what we would do is we would set some travel goals that are based off of our core values. Well, where can we practice love, education, responsibility, and culture within that goal? It becomes like our code of conduct, our decision-making filter. So like, okay, well, sitting on a beach for two weeks is nice, but I want to go experience culture where I travel, music, food, etc., new places, people. So I'm not going to go to a beach for two weeks. We're going to go travel around Spain and see all some historical sites, see some stuff. You got to link those goals into why was it important to you to begin with? Because then when you're on that vacation and you're going from Madrid to Cordova or Cordova to Portugal, to Porto, to Lisbon, when you're doing that, now it's like, man, this is exactly what was driving me. I got out of this exactly what I was looking for. But if I sat on the beach for two weeks, I'd just be asking myself these questions. What the hell am I doing here and why? This wasn't something that I value, but here I am. So that's the process. Mm, Core values, sub-values, goal setting, action. Boom. No, that's a huge, huge piece that so many people hear the concept. You need to set goals, whatever, but the execution and how you do it is just as critical. So, uh, yeah, connecting to those core values is beyond vital. Uh, I know for myself personally, that's been a huge, huge shift uh, in my professional day-to-day habits. Like, yeah, that fuel, that fire <laughs> inside there uh, is just something that you you can't get when you're just trying to hit like a sales quota or just something that's kind of doesn't have that secondary level of attachment. So appreciate you sharing some of the, the secret sauce of what, uh, what that process looks like. Um, so in that vein of advice and sharing things with our listener, what do you consider the, the best advice that you've received for yourself uh, that we could amplify and uh, redistribute to our listener today? The best advice I've received for myself. Or possibly like a, a, a revelation moment um, that, that kind of shifted shifted the gears for you in, in a critical way. It's like my mom always said, shit or get off the pot. <laughs> <laughs> and this, <laughs> going back to our conversation about goal setting, we can tell ourselves all the things we want to accomplish in life. But none of that matters if we're not doing it for the right reason. So when I think about the shit or get off the pot analogy, there's a very big sense of action. Uh, One of the things that drew me to you and, and you as a friend, as someone who I see as a role model and admire, was the fact that you've taken what you're passionate about and you've gone to take action on that. When we think about our other friends, Alex, Ravi, John, and and the many others that you and I have become close with on LinkedIn, 
action, the people who shit or get off the pot, this, this type of person, having that energy field around us, having that constant, like, when I see the stuff that you're doing out there in the world, it inspires me. It fuels me. And I want to be around as much of that as possible. Because when you're around the opposite energy, it does drain you. We are, our DNA tells us, our limbic system tells us, that's the paleomammalian cortex. This tells us mm-hmm. we are the sum of what's around us. The emotions of the people who we surround ourselves with impacts what we do, how we behave, how we think. And I want to be around Travis because then I can shit or get off the pot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. Thank you, Mama <laughs> Harmon. <laughs> oh, it's so brilliant. So, yeah, anybody listening, if you've been on that just take the shit just let's just 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 get it going whatever you're waiting on just post that video write the first page whatever you've been waiting on please just get it going uh right now <laughs> i'll tell my mom uh, tomorrow at so, thanksgiving dinner hey remember that time when i was yeah. <laughs> i was on the toilet too long <laughs> It's amplified. <laughs> this is that knowledge dissemination we were we were mentioning. <laughs> um, so in in this vein of advice, uh, let's just quickly hit the the opposite side of the perspective. Uh, what would you consider the biggest mistake or pitfall that we should avoid in life? We talked about goals. We talked about action a key part of this cycle is the reward system. Practicing self-love towards ourselves, celebrating even the little milestones. And the reason for that is if you don't take the time to celebrate those, then those things fester into self-defeating thoughts, self-limiting beliefs, low self-talk, the inner roommate, the negative record that's spinning in our heads. So you need closure when you set and reach Mm. goals close out that goal by celebrating it, telling your friends about it. Arnold Schwarzenegger says, work hard and advertise. Do the work, advertise it, celebrate it, move on to the next thing. Um, And I think people don't do that enough. They Mm. instead say, well, what's next? I'm not doing enough. Oh crap, wait, can I even do this to begin with? So close out those goals, move on to the next one. You never know what your potential is today because by the time you get six months out you're a completely different person you do not know that potent that person's potential today uh so you have to constantly be setting and reaching mm. new goals bigger goals better goals and closing them out with a reward system no that's that's brilliant it, it's a nice uh capstone uh to 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 the goal setting conversation we were just jumping out of um so to our listener th- make sure that this is top of mind that there's a clear finish line to, to break through and, and celebrate um or think of your most recent wins and make sure that you're grateful for those and they don't slip under the radar or slip through the cracks um truly brilliant this has been awesome to kind of see those connect the dots uh in this spirit of legacy and, and le- leaving your advice here with the world, uh, I'd love to challenge you to 
three words. If you could leave a three-word legacy for this world of what matters or what to do, it could just be three random words. It could be a single sentence, but you you've only got a few seconds. To send the the final final email of uh, life's existence before the power goes out, and there's only three words that can do it. What three words would you leave for your legacy? I would leave. The title of our show: <laughs> Lead, Laugh, Love. Lead. Laugh, love. For anybody curious, the reference he just made there, Dr. Brian Harmon has been uh, an integral part in an improvised talk show we developed this year called Lead, Laugh, Love. Um, and that's that's truly <laughs> brilliant. We just went meta <laughs> right there. That wasn't intentional. Um, but that's uh, – I, I couldn't, couldn't think of something more symbolic for – understanding you and especially your approach to integrate both love and humor and comedy, uh, typically things that we see neglected in the professional realm. So brilliant to see that top of mind. Um, and I think it leads perfectly into our, our uh, as we're getting close to the finish line here, would love to just give you the open uh, open opportunity to share with people what exactly you do um, and how they, how they can get started, how you can help them. I know from the outside, it seems you do a little bit of everything, but there's this service for executive coaching and corporate training that you really have a uh, top-tier elite, elite system for. So I uh, would love to just give you the opportunity to kind of drop the the pitch or the plug or what, whatever the uh, setup is over there and how people might be able to find you, get involved, uh, all that fun Thank stuff. Thank you for letting me share that. I work for companies and I work for people. On the company side, it's corporate training, executive coaching, and executive retreats. Uh, my focus is high trust leadership, soft skills, helping people to coach, communicate, delegate, work together in a way that's emotionally intelligent. On the people side, I like to help people through big transitions in their life, and I do that through two ways. One is executive coaching, helping them go from either manager to leader or to executive to senior executive. So that's in the form of executive coaching. That's one-on-one. -on -one. And then also career coaching. So helping people like myself get through some really hard times. When I went from construction to biotech, man, I learned a lot about how to set myself up for success in a, in a process like that. But because of the things that I went through, I was able to double and triple my salary mm -hmm. over the course of my last few years in the corporate life. And I like to help people to get that going, tell the right story, get the right resume, fix up your digital presence, make sure that people are seeing you for your skills. And there's a voice, a story and a face behind that resume and behind that LinkedIn page instead of just a really dry, here's my resume and I want to train, change industries. So it's career coaching, executive coaching. And corporate training. Brilliant. So where would somebody get started on this wonderful adventure to double or triple their salary? <laughs> yeah, so the, the, the programs that I offer, it, it's all really LinkedIn as the home base. I got all the links and all the stuff there. Perfect. You could just shoot me a DM. We'll get introduced. 
Uh, I'd like to see if I always can help my prospective clients by drilling into what are some of those challenges and problems first. It's a pretty extensive discovery to make sure that I'm the right person for the job. And if I'm not the right person to the job, there are so many brilliant coaches out there, many of whom are my friends that I can refer people to, to make mm -hmm. sure that people are getting the exact right help that they need at whatever point they're in. Excellent. Thank you, Brian. We'll definitely make sure all those links are dropped there. And now that leads us to the end of the line here. The final question, a little something we call the beast mode monologue. Do you have any final words can take as long or as short as you would like for our listener to erupt into beast mode? They're either trying to level up their life, make a critical pivot, or maybe they're just trying to double or triple their salary. But uh, what are the final words that you can share with us today for our listener? We've talked about education. We've talked about goal setting. The reality of all this stuff, taking action on our lives, it is not an easy process. It's something that takes a lot of work, a lot of dedication, a lot of time, a lot of support from our friends, family, a lot of self-love time. Because it's such a difficult thing to do, I encourage everybody to get a coach. Doesn't have to be me. There's Again, there's many, many brilliant coaches out there. Having a coach is the reason that I'm successful. It's not my education. It's not my relationships. It's I take the opportunity to invest in myself with people who are better at what I'm doing and I can get there faster as a result. So get that clarity, get that purpose, get yourself a coach and everything you do after that will go faster, farther and more effective than if you don't. So that's what I'll leave you with. Thank you, Boom. Travis. I love you, brother. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Dr. Brian Harmon. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate you. You too, man. End audio experience. You're a beast.